0: Well, morning, everybody. When you pulled up to church today, you thought, oh, Lord, revival's breaking out somewhere, right? This is my annual little wrestling conversation with God. So if you want to know, like, what sends trembles through the pastor's soul at times, it's driving into the church parking lot as the sun is rising and seeing our entire gravel lot filled. Full. Worship team's in here, band's starting to play. I've got the sound of the worship of God's name on one side, and I've got the gravel parking lot packed on the other side. As I stroll in the church, I just have this little, Lord, someday. You want a tangible sign of revival and spiritual awakening in suburban North America? is when the Youth Soccer Association leaders get together and they say, you know what? We can't have all of our tournament games on Sunday morning because we can't get anybody to come. Because all the people are gathering in God's house to worship God's name for God's glory. So we can't start anything till 12 or one in the afternoon. That to me would be a tangible sign of something's changing in the spiritual climate, and I'm all, I love for kids to be able to play sports, don't get me wrong in that, but I'm just like, seriously, literally people dragging their coolers with their Starbucks, you know, as the sun's coming up. Right, and here we are, so this is my, that's my little annual, but welcome to Eagle Church, we're so glad that you are here, <laughs> it's great to have you here. And if you're here from the soccer tournament, we're glad you've strolled from that side of the gathering to this side. We usually have a few families who do that, and we're glad that you are here. We've been talking about what it means to be a community, a family together. And we're gonna have a conversation now with the role of spiritual leadership in being a family. Because here's what, here's what the scriptures say about the body of Christ when it gathers, that we actually have roles and Offices to appoint, so we appoint the role of an elder to serve in a spiritual leadership position with a family called the body of Christ. And that role elder is described for us, if you want to read First Timothy or Titus, if you read the first sections of those two letters, it'll give you some insight on what is God's definition of an elder. And it's obviously not just someone who is elderly, though it's fine if you're elderly to serve as an elder, um, but it has a lot more to do with the spiritual qualifications. And so we wanna have a conversation today just about the role of spiritual leadership and to discuss what it means to bring more people into this role of eldership, because it's a really important part of what it means to be a family together. So would you put your hands together and welcome on stage today, Mike Steffi and Seth Bot, two of our elders. <laughs> Good to see you guys. So guys, uh, at some point in your lives, someone approached you and said, "Would you consider being an elder?" What was your initial reaction? Uh, thanks Hold on, let's see. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Chris, we good? What do we need? Check two, three. Check two, three. Uh, Up. There you go. Yeah. That would work.
1: Helps if you turn it on. was <laughs>
0: on. So what was your reaction when you were asked to be an elder?
1: Uh, my initial reaction was, who, me? Um, I think you have the wrong person. So um, keep walking, and we'll think we didn't have this conversation.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to thank Scott Granati for cornering me. No, that's not really what happened. Um, but Scott Granati did talk to me a lot about... Um, being a leader in the church, and I'd been a, a leader um, upstairs with youth for a very long time, and um, Scott just asked me, "Hey, are you, would you be interested in being on the elder board?" And I, my response was very similar to Mike's. I'm like, "I don't know. I don't think I'm old enough," <laughs> especially with Scott sitting next to me. Right? <laughs> Love you, Scott. Love you, Scott. So yeah, um, but Scott engaged me in that conversation, and we just talked a little bit about the the role of an elder, and so. Um, I didn't agree to be an elder, but I agreed to be part of the process. There you go,
0: yeah. So we talked about entering the process, the discernment journey. So what helped you kind of take the step beyond your initial reaction is, I'm not sure about this, and then you agreed to enter what we call kind of the discernment journey. You go through an interview process, kind of application process, and just say, hey, is this what God wants me to do? What helped you cross the initial gulf that was there? Because kind of usually the initial reaction when someone approaches you about this is,
1: I'm not sure. Yeah, I was approached several times, um, a couple times when I said, no way, keep walking. Um, And then the third time, finally, I was like, okay, the Holy Spirit, I think, prompted me to say, you really need to look at this. This isn't the first conversation you've had. And then there was a lot of conversations on the back end. Scott and I had breakfast one morning and really answered a lot of my questions about being an elder and that next step. And then my wife, Susan, um, as I was driving home from that conversation, I had a lot of I'm not, and a lot of things following that. Mm. And she had a lot of but because. Mm. So that really helped kind of go through that. And then a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment, and just some, some quiet time, and just thinking through, mm. you know, why not? Go for it. So
2: I think the other thing is, uh, Mike alluded to it, is just talking to people who know you personally. And, and to say, what do you think about this, this role of elder? And do you think I'm someone that might fit that role? And so I did a little bit of that talking to um, some of the people who were spiritual giants in my life. And they were like, yeah, I think you could be doing this, but I think prayer is your first step. And so Mike Soul on my thunder with your two good answers. Good job, bud. That's
0: good. So at your experience, how long have you been in the elder role? This is my third year. And Mike? A year and a half. Okay. So you were entering into this role and you thought being an elder is going to be like blank, how I kind of have this picture of what you thought it was gonna be like, but now having lived in it for a bit, it's been more like, finish finish the thought on that. You're gonna let me go first?
2: Okay, I'm gonna steal all your answers this time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think, you know, I thought there was gonna be a lot of the inner workings of the church and I didn't know if I was really gonna be Interested in all all the things that kind of go with running a church I don't really have a lot of experience in running a business or doing books or things like that I'm a teacher by trade and so I didn't know if I had a lot to Contribute, but I was willing to to at least try and uh, what was what was really nice was I actually got to do a lot of the interpersonal Mm -hmm. Things so I don't really do the book stuff and I really don't do the facility stuff Um, But I do a lot of the human resources stuff, and that's something that I didn't know I had a skill in until I got to be a part of it. And so God actually revealed a couple of new things in me that I didn't know about before. It's great.
1: Yeah, I thought it would be stressful, time-consuming, all those bad things that you think about. Um, Oh, they um, are. It is very stressful and (laughs) time-consuming at times. At times. Um, But it's also, like Seth alluded to, I'm, I'm aligned with Carl, our facilities director, so, I, you know, I'm an IT and an engineering background, so that's kind of right up my alley of being able to help and, and further the kingdom and take care of the building and the grounds and all that stuff that goes along with that. But also it was stretching. You know, I was thinking it's going to be stretching spiritually for me because um, mm-hmm. I, in all the I'm nots was definitely in the spiritual side of things. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been really good through the board meetings and just through the, the getting to know these guys. Like Seth and I knew each other. We've been around here forever. We didn't really know each other. Mm-hmm. But now we really I think with the whole group we know each other and it's really um, through that time just you're able to push yourself because I would never be up here two years ago.
2: Right. You know, I I look at it a lot as this is a, this is a small group that I'm a part of. And so I get to I get to be a part of nine other guys' lives and we bring our lives and our experience into it and it's it's not all business, it's a lot of the relational and um, Eric leads us through the word each time we start um, our board meetings. And so it's been, a, it's been a point of spiritual growth. I think my wife would agree that I've grown more spiritually over the past three years than I maybe have in, in the 10 prior because God's pushing me and the guys around me are pushing me to be, um, to be more of a spiritual leader than I was before.
0: So how about kind of a closing comment to those sitting and listening and thinking, what would you, you want to leave them with? with, if they're approached about considering being an elder, give them some words of just kind of, how would you want them to process? Because this is going to be the, the next step for us as a body, right? We're going to be in elder nomination selection process. There's going to be some dialogue. There's already some dialogues going on. And what would you, what was just a kind of a closing thought you want to leave them with as they consider it? Well, I think the, the one thing that struck me was how God
2: provided in, in the moments that, that I was considering and praying, but also what God provided after I agreed and was brought on, on the board. God provided in new and different ways once I was on the board. And yes, there is some some time that I put into this, but I was telling Mike before the service, I was like, it doesn't seem like time because I know that I'm investing in the body of Christ. And so for me it, it's it's actually a privilege to do it. It's hmm. good. You stole my thunder. Oh.
1: Um, but, no, it, be open to the idea, you know, just be thankful for it and think and pray through it, and there, it is time-consuming at times, and it does take up more of your time, but it's like you're an extension of Jesus, your extension of the body. You get intimate knowledge of other families that I would never have met in this large congregation, you know, so we get knowledge of that, and we're able to pray for them and just do lots of things. So, you really, it's, it's been a very rewarding, almost two years for me, so it's something that... I look back on now in that decision time and think, what took you so long? That's
2: right, good. I mean, I'm, I'm, re, I'm re-upping in January and I, I thought I would do my first term and be done and actually I can't wait to start the second term and I'm really excited for what God's doing in this church and now you really get to see God move in a very close way when you're part of the elder board because you get to see all the, the hallelujahs along the way that maybe somebody um, sitting out here doesn't get to see.
0: It's good, front row seat to a bunch of stuff, right? If you're a current elder, would you please stand up? Nikki, if we could raise the house lights just slightly and let everybody, just stay standing, guys. I'd like you to just see physically some of the other elders around here and two action steps from this conversation right now. Guys, stay standing for a moment. You yourself may, in this dialogue, feel prompted by the Spirit to say, you know what? I'd like to have a conversation with someone about the role of an elder. Right here, these men standing would be a good start. Okay, These two guys and those guys there, and then there's some others who are serving probably somewhere in the building. But these elders would be a good first step in a conversation. Secondly, you may right now be thinking of someone in our congregation, and you go, man, I think that person would serve in the role of elder and would really do a good job with that. So if that's true, if you could have a conversation with one of these guys about that person's name, Here's the step that's gonna happen next. It's a nominating process that goes on. So it's super helpful for you to have, you can go out and have a seat, guys. It's super helpful for you to have a dialogue with the person that you're considering nominating before you nominate them. Just to make sure that they really do wanna be nominated, that would be helpful. Um, but if you do get a green light from them, just get their name to one of the board members. And then there's a nominating committee formed of which some of you are a part of. So the process is, you don't just automatically become an elder, you enter the discernment process. So you'll go through some kind of application, an interview, some good prayer time, there'll be quite a bit of dialogue to get to the point where is it a yes or a no on this year. And sometimes it's just not a yes or a no, it's a wait. It's just maybe a year from now, or two years from now, whatever that is. So those are the tangible steps that I'd really like you to prayerfully consider. And one of the questions may be is, uh, is this reserved for men only? And yes, we believe the scriptures teach that it's a male leadership role in the office of an elder. We value women in tons of leadership positions around here. We got women leading all kinds of things and on staff teaching and preaching up here. But we believe the scriptures teach that the role of an office of elder is reserved for men. So if you have a man in mind who you think fills these kinds of qualifications, and if you're looking for a deeper dive in the qualifications, First Timothy and Titus would be a good start or talk to these guys. And none of these guys have like master's degree in theology. They're not PhD, right, Uh, New Testament or something like that. They love God. They listen to his voice. They follow the leading of the spirit. You know, these are the core issues, and I'm so grateful. I know you can join me in just thanking our elder leadership as this body for the time and selfless service that they put in to listen to God and provide spiritual discernment for us as a body. Can we thank them for that? Appreciate you guys. All right, let's open up our Bibles, Luke chapter 24. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Luke chapter 24, we're wrapping up our series we've been calling Journeying Together. We've been in the Emmaus Road, the seven-mile trek from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and we've been walking with a guy named Cleopas and an unnamed disciple. And the reason I think the disciple was unnamed, because I think that's where you and I can insert our name in the story. So it's Cleopas and you, or I, walking along the seven-mile journey We've been talking about what does it mean to be together? What does it mean to be a Christian community, a spiritual family? What does it mean to have friendships that are built spirit-driven and spirit-led and spirit-guided? And I put at the top of your notes over the past few weeks kind of a summary of the points that we have been covering. So just a quick review to bring everyone up to speed, that we've been talking about six different elements. You can use this as a bit of a a grid for evaluating the relational, kind of the relational currency of your life. And we've been walking around this question, do I have the kind of relationships in my life that help me seek God? A really important question. So what do those relationships help me see God look like? The first thing we talked about was they're the kind of people who are able to walk with us in liminal space. That space when you release, right, the acrobat releases the bar. And before they grab a hold of the next bar, they're in that space in between. And they're wondering if the net's going to catch them. This is called liminal space. The space between the now and the not yet. And we need the kind of people in our life who can walk like Cleopas and the unnamed disciple were walking between the now and the not yet, the seven mile journey. And we wanna have those kind of people who help us pay attention to Jesus on that journey. Because sometimes we get so focused on what it is we've relinquished or what it is we're trying to grasp a hold of that we lose sight that while we're dangling in the air in between, Jesus is right there with us. And we need people in our life who help us pay attention to Jesus in that space in between. And then we need people in our life who who help us in that kind of prayerful listening posture and who don't rush in and fill it with answers. Remember that discussion we had about people who are able to just be with what is? Do you have those kind of people, right, just gonna walk with you and just be still with what is, ask great questions, help draw out of you what's going on inside of you, and don't rush in with chapter and verse and three-point outline with every issue that's going on. We can listen to God and listen to you and be able to be present to God and present to you. And then last week, where do we leave off last week? What was happening last week in the storyline, right? They're eventually having a conversation with Jesus. The words in red start speaking up, right? They start opening up about the grand mystery of all that's going on. Remember the but we had hoped conversation last week? But we had hoped, Jesus, you were the one, we had hoped the Messiah was gonna boot the Romans out and point the Jews to leadership. We had hoped you were the one who was gonna take care of all these things. But we had hoped, and it's the third day, remember that? But it's the third day, and there's still not a lot of action going on. And all that dialogue's happening, and Jesus is with them. And they're telling Jesus about everything that happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. is that ironic? They were opening up the grand mystery we talked about what does it mean to be a community who's comfortable in that space? Because gang, when you relinquish one thing, which usually crisis causes us to relinquish something, to grab a hold of what's next. As a nation, we've got plenty of liminal space going on. Certainly in the churches in Las Vegas today, filled with massive amounts of liminal space. And we gotta be able to be comfortable entering into it and say there's a grand mystery of God's ways. They're higher than our ways His thoughts are beyond our thoughts, and we're not gonna be able to figure this all out. And we gotta be able to be comfortable journeying through the but we had hopes. And we do so centered in this God-breathed book. Remember last week we talked about eventually Jesus does open the scriptures, and he leads them through the best Bible study ever, way better than BSF even, way better than CBS, way better than Matt Chandler or Beth Moore or any of them. He gives the best Bible study that's ever been given. Jesus himself leading through the scriptures and helping him see open their eyes. And so at the end of that Bible study session is where we pick up the story today. Verse 28, here's what happens. They're at mile marker seven. They're entering the village of Emmaus. As they approach the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Don't you love this about Jesus. How about his character coming out here? He kind of plays dumb with him at the beginning. Hey, what things are you talking about? Well, who's the one person who knows exactly what they're talking about? Jesus. And now he's like, he's going to pretend like he's going to pretend like he's going past the entrance to the village. That is so like Jesus. Because what does he want him to do? He's just kind of seeing, he's wanted to draw out of them. Like, how much are they really engaging in this dialogue? Do they want him to stay or not? Like, what do you want? Do you want me to stay? Because I think he's fishing some things out from their insides there. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly. Underline in your Bible, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to underline, stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. We'll come back to that in a minute. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. So here's kind of the next principle we're gonna get. We're gonna get number seven and eight out today. And I want you to see the link between because Cleopas and this other disciple stayed together and stayed with Jesus, look what happened. I think there's something in the power of staying here. And what it means to be a community. And so I wrote it out this way in your notes. I said, We choose stability and recognize that God has placed us with a particular people at a particular time. Are you tracking with me here? The Christian tradition calls this, we take the vow of stability in life. If you enter monastic communities, monastic communities have to sign off on a vow of stability. And what is that? The vow of stability is this. It's like, God, you've grafted me and you've planted me in a local family of people called the body of Christ. And I'm going to row through the choppy waters that come with being a part of a local body and local family together. Because every local family is going to have ups and downs, mountaintops and valleys, good days and bad days, rough waters and smooth waters. It's what it means to be a family together. And there's something powerful, hear me now, about when we band together and we say, you know what? By God's grace, we're just going to stay linked together through all the choppy waters. That's called a vow of stability. I put in your notes a quote from uh, an Episcopal priest, I think he is, Brian Taylor. I like what he said here. Listen to this. The grass is not greener over there. One must work out one's problems with this person. Because if one doesn't, one will have to work it out with that person. This is precisely what is so freeing about the vow of stability. To have to work it out is to demand growth, as painful as it is. And that is freeing. Faithfulness is a limit that forces us to stop running and encounter God, self, and other right now. Right now here. Oh, there's a lot there. Do you see what he's getting at? And listen, I understand that there are times when it is appropriate to exit some type of connection you had to a local church family, a spiritual family. There are circumstances, absolutely. I would just I would just like to lobby today that I think we're a little too quick to drift to uproot and change for change sakes without thinking through the value of what it means to just stay and stay connected and choose the vow of stability and row through whatever the conflict or disagreements or preferences or choppy waters that there are. I'm I'm just asking us to at least step back and consider the fruit of what it means to not just build years together, but to build decades together. I think that's a part of what it means to be together, that you, you say, you know, we're going to build memories of togetherness. And I think for the most part, North American suburban life, we're especially prone to kind of uproot and change and move on fairly casually. And I think we've lost sight. Like the generations before us, I think we're a lot more loyal and faithfully devoted to what it means to be connected to a church family together. Like the generations that I grew up in, when I heard my grandparents talk about their little Wittenberg church that was like a quarter of a mile from their country home, the thought that they would ever uproot from that spiritual family, it wasn't even in the radar. I don't know how many pastors came and went through that Wittenberg church, but Paul and Lillian Long, they were never going to uproot from that. That just wasn't even in the discussion. And I just think today, because I don't know how many churches you drove by to get here, but the tendency is, right, because suburban Midwest, oh my goodness, in the Midwest, in suburban life, we've got dozens and dozens of options. And it's wonderful that we have so many spiritual families. I pray for the churches and the leaders often when I'm driving into service. I pray God's blessing on their ministry and that they'd bear fruit for his name. Absolutely. But here's what I wanna caution us in. Do you know that there are many places on the globe, like think about the the local gatherings of believers in North Korea today. Do you know in North Korea, I don't think the band of believers, when they're meeting together and they start forming a family together, I don't think they're like casually jumping ship on each other. I'm just guessing, but I don't think so. Or I think of in Berlin, where we have the Phenesis working there in Berlin and there's so few churches carrying out Jesus' name and presenting the scriptures before Jesus' people. There's so few of those places, guess what? They're not just casually dismissing from one church to the next church because there's nowhere else to go. That's it. That local body gathering in Jesus' name is all you've got within several miles. So you gotta work out your issues with that group. Something tells me that's really healthy. It's like forcing, it's like a crucible that forces some things out of us. And yesterday, I had a front row seat to the fruit of the vow of stability. I wanna introduce you to Mike and Diane Murphy now as of yesterday, Many of you recognize her as Diane Hood. You longtime Eagle family members right now, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Diane Hood was married yesterday to Mike Murphy. And I was there. And Nate and Tucker, Diane's sons, they grew up. They were in the infant room, toddler room, preschool rooms. They grew up in the family of Eagle. We had lots of staff meetings about Nathan and Tucker Hood and how we keep those kids on the rails because they were really a handful. (laughs) And yesterday, there they were standing up at their mom's wedding, and and Nate was leading a song from the keyboard, a song about honoring God with his life. And I just looked at him, I thought, what a beautiful picture. We have 25 years together. And it used to be Steve and Diane Hood who were a core part of this body. And their family came unraveled. And some of you walked very closely through that. And it was some deep, dark, and difficult times in the Hood household. And you know what I noticed through all the years of that is, here's one consistent thing I saw from Diane. Diane simply chose to stay. It would have been so much easier because it was really hard And they had a lot of history here. The Diane just, she sat over here in this section. She brought her Kleenex. And Sunday after Sunday, she came into God's house to worship Jesus' name and to stay connected together with us as a body. And yesterday at their wedding, I was able to stand there with 25 years and have a conversation about the seasons of life. And the message I brought to him, I felt like the Lord put on my heart was, I asked the question, what song is God singing over this marriage right now? And I think the title of the song is Redemption Wins. And we talked about that. We talked about three chords to the song of Redemption Wins, the three chords We're dying and waiting and rising. And there was a whole boatload of the dying and there's a boatload of the waiting. There's been so much liminal space and months and years of how long, oh Lord. And then yesterday, we're together with his people and that family and we said, God gets the last word. Rising gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And there was so much joy in that moment. And a big part of it was... Diane Hood chose stability. I think there's something there, gang. When I got to pray with the bride before the service, why did the tears flow from my eyes and hers so quickly together? Because for 25 years, we've been walking this road. You know, a handful of times a year, some folks will approach me about, So Eric, are you gonna be like here forever or are you gonna like move on somewhere else or kind of the conversation is, you've been here a long time. I'm not quite sure how to take these sometimes but stay with me here. It's like, well, you've been here like a long time. So at some point, are you gonna like move on and do other things? And there's genuinely a curiosity to their question. I think their motives are pure in it. And the interesting thing is the, the view that the question is coming to me in is the length of time here is kind of a springboard to would you consider changing and doing something else? That's kind of the premise. And I'm on the other end of the spectrum. So I'm in the the spot of, actually, the length of time with all of you, to me, is further reasoning to stay. To simply allow years to become decades. Decades. And as long as you want me around and God said, this is where I want you to be, I'm happy to be here and to serve and to build spiritual history together, to build sacred moments that go from years and to decades and to have baby dedications and funerals and weddings and all the space in between and then all the ordinariness of life. If you can put up with all my quirks and idiosyncrasies and failings, that you get to hear about week after week around here. You know, I'm just, we're just ordinary people. I'm just an ordinary person who's linked up with Jesus like you. And for such a time with this, how about we just be a bunch of ordinary people just linked up with Jesus together for such a time as this? I'm going to choose to stay for the long haul. How about you? Are you in just to say, you know what? Is everything going to match everyone's preferences around? Of course not. We're all humans. You're not going to like all of the messages I bring. You might not even like 10% of them. That's fine. I remember years ago, we used to produce CDs out in the atrium. Some of you, I was really dating back, right? We used to have CDs. We used to like duplicate CDs. Actually, Mike Vanderripe used to put cassette tapes. Oh, my Lord. You high school students are like, what's a cassette tape? And he used to spin like that. And he used to duplicate the cassette tapes. So this lady comes up one time at the end of a service. She's got like a stack of some of the CDs. She goes, Pastor Eric, thanks so much for all your messages. I, I, I get your messages, and I get them all, and, and I keep the good ones. I go, wow, well, I think that was a compliment somewhere in all of that. But to have history together, to choose stability, That's a really important part of walking the Emmaus Road. And I look forward to years turning into decades as we just stay together. And I think a big part of what these two guys experienced in Emmaus was well, they stuck together. They were at the home and they stuck with Jesus there and they broke bread. And I just think about all the ordinary stuff that was happening in the story. They're just going on a walk. That's pretty ordinary. They're just eating a meal. That's pretty ordinary. They're just having a guest over to their home. That's pretty ordinary. And all the ordinary things happen and Jesus joins up and all of a sudden something becomes quite extraordinary. That's what life together's like. We just stay together. I think it was last Saturday, last Saturday when the worship and arts teams were all together at Hunter and Jen's house. And I just... I loved, I stood back at this hill and I just looked over the gathering of all the people and all the kids that were there. You know, it was such a joy. It's such, such a picture of these kids are gonna grow up and see, this is what it means to be a part of a spiritual family. They're playing together. They were worshiping together earlier. They were dreaming together about what God's doing. But this is just, we're just together. And then they were cooking s'mores and, and playing with chickens and riding in hay rides and all these other, what is all that? That's just being a family together. That's such a gift. But you know what? It's a big part of that is somewhere you choose, I'm going to stay. Because hear this now, when you consistently kind of uproot and move, move along and bounce around from one spiritual family to another, do you know what gets sacrificed in all of that? It's a real challenge to become known when you bounce around. Now, I suspect that's why some people choose To exit, you choose the relational exit ramp from a body if it's getting a little too personal. You're not able to stay on the fringes as much as you'd like. You don't want you want to stay super anonymous for a long period of time. So you know how you do that in church world? You just go and visit like three or four different churches and you call none of them your home and then you can stay in anonymity the whole time because you just come, pay your tithe, maybe serve somewhere and exit during the closing song and you just kind of stay on the relational fringes. That is not an image of what it means to be together on the Emmaus Road in a spiritual family. To be a spiritual family means you're gonna devote yourself somewhere. And I suspect that perhaps some of our Students who go off to college and many parents come cycling back to the pastors and go, what do I do with my student who's not interested in connecting in any local church anywhere? Interestingly, I see a connection between a family unit who's chosen to never really ground themselves as they were raising their kids in a spiritual family, wondering why their kids never ground themselves in a spiritual family. There's a connection, I think. Tracking with me? I think we got to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, well, hey, mom and dad, what are we passing on here? Are we passing on, as soon as the waters get a little choppy in a local church over something, we're out. We're taking our Bible and our tithe and going somewhere else. Is that what, we're, what are we teaching our kids with that? Or are we teaching them how to row and stay together and work through and grow and love those that sometimes are hard to love and work through our stuff? Because everybody's got stuff. And we just stay together. I think what a great, that a generation of students here would grow up with a vision of stability with the family of God. That'd be an amazing thing, I think, to pass on as parents. So they stay, and now, last paragraph of the story, look what happens. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, how far's the walk? Seven miles. So they get up, and where are they going? They're going back, Something tells me they're not walking at the same pace. Remember on the way there, faces were downcast. I think it was a slower stroll. Sometimes you know you're on the Emmaus Road with just the way you're walking. Faces downcast, pace of your walk. But now, something happened. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Do you remember that? Where did we start the story? Jesus had joined them, they were kept from recognizing him, verse 16. Verse 31, they're with Jesus, they break bread with him, their eyes are open and they recognize him. Do you see the journey of the whole story is this increasing recognition of who Jesus is and that he's with them. At the beginning of the story, he's just a stranger. And then somewhere along the way, he becomes a traveling companion. And then he becomes a teacher. And then all of a sudden, he's a house guest And then when he's a house guest, what happens? They break bread together. Their hearts are burning within them. The Holy Spirit's working as he opened the word to them. And all of a sudden, he's their Messiah and resurrected Lord. Jesus has been with him the whole time. The Emmaus Road journey was about their recognition of his presence with them. And we need one another for that. I need you. We need each other to help us increasingly recognize the way Jesus has joined us in our story wherever we're at on that Emmaus Road journey. And because when we recognize Jesus and our hearts were burning within us, these guys got a story to tell. They're going back to Jerusalem. Why? Because their hearts are burning within them. Because their eyes have been opened. Because they've had a personal encounter with Jesus. They're going back to tell the story. They got something to say. They can't contain it. Look what happens. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So here's the last principle, of what it means to be together as a body, is that we're sent out on mission together with a story to tell. This is what it means to be together as a body. Do you follow the storyline there? They got something to say. Do you see how, I want you to track this now, that evangelism flows out of this place. The call to evangelism and mission is this. You're, You're inviting people into a spiritually transforming life. That's what we're doing in evangelism and missions. We're inviting them into a spiritually transforming life. You're not just giving them the four spiritual laws. That's not missions and evangelism. You're not just standing up and singing just as I am and calling them to the altar and come to Jesus. That's not the core of, the core of evangelism is you're an invitation to a person to join a spiritually transforming life. Now hear this, that, that the messenger of that invitation is validating spiritual transformation. Are you tracking with me? I feel like that whole thing went over your heads there just by your nonverbal look at me. It's a way to understand how formation precedes and sustains mission. So here's the thing, when we meet Jesus, we get all fired up to go and reach the world and impact the world for him. And do we have plenty of brokenness in our world that needs the hope and name and love of Jesus? Absolutely, we've got so much to do. Local community, our nation, the world, We're not gonna be lacking for things to do as a body of Christ, to engage the brokenness of the world around us. Here's the rub, though. We gotta have Cleopas and this unnamed disciple encounters with Jesus on the Emmaus Road so that we've got a story to tell as we go out. Perhaps some of our struggle with missional engagement in the world is there's no personal encounter with the living Christ going on. So you're out there trying to do a whole bunch of stuff because maybe the pastor or whatever is trying to encourage you to do it versus you saying, I gotta get back to Jerusalem. I've met Jesus. My heart is burning within me. My eyes are open. I see him. You gotta come see him. That's a totally different scenario. That's why the invitation in missions and evangelism is to a spiritually transforming life of which the messenger validates the spiritual transformation That lifts, to me, missions and evangelism up to even a higher place. This is how Dallas Willard put it. I love this quote of Dallas's. When the identified people of Christ reach a certain level of growth and don't go on, they limit their evangelistic potential. Why? Because the witness of the identified people of Christ to the reality of God in their own lives is weak and becomes a testimony to the contrary. To have Earth-shaking evangelism hear this now you have to have a different quality of persons, and that is what spiritual formation is all about. And I can't say any better than that. So our call, the so that on us being connected together as a community, is what? So that we're gonna, we're gonna go out into the brokenness of the world around us and we're gonna make a difference for him. We're gonna spread his hope and his love and his power and his grace to a world that so desperately is crying out for something. Everyone crying out for answers to something. And here we are on the Emmaus Road. Jesus has joined us on our journey. And if our hearts are burning within us and our eyes are open to see him, then we're gonna be the ones to run back out into that broken world and say, you gotta meet this Jesus who's changing and touching and impacting my life and my family and my circles. And your life itself is the witness like Cleopas Something tells me you didn't have to encourage Cleopas and this other disciple, like you didn't have to encourage them about get together and pray. You didn't have to encourage them about uh, entering the brokenness of whatever's going on in Jerusalem at that. You didn't have to encourage them with that because eventually all the disciples give their life. History records most, if not all of them, had to make a choice at some point. Your physical life or Jesus, 100% chose Jesus. Something tells me they had an Emmaus Road encounter. They met the resurrected Christ. Which we go back to, well, what's up, Eric, then? Why would he keep himself from being recognized all the way through the story and notice the moment their eyes are open and they recognize him? What does the text say? He disappears from them. What's up with that, Jesus? Isn't it frustrating at times with God that way? Like just the times you need him the most and need him nearest to you, you feel like he's the most distant? Have you notice this with God at times? Here's what I think Jesus is doing with this group. He's training them for what's to come. They're wanting his physical presence. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want Jesus at your dinner table? Of course. Who wouldn't want Jesus to stay at your dinner table? Of course. And they're, you know, here's Jesus saying, "Hey, I think they're getting a little too attached to my physical presence with them, and I need to prepare them for what's about to occur. He's about to ascend to the heavens and pour out His Spirit. His physical presence isn't going to be with them, but the Holy Spirit will. So He's training them on how to relate to them more in an invisible reality through the Holy Spirit." That's why I think the whole recognized him versus eyes are open and then he disappears. He's preparing them for what's to come, the way we relate to him now. Jesus isn't physically, bodily here with us, but by his spirit, he is, and he's present, and he's active, and our eyes can be open to still see him and relate to him. So I close the series with the same question I opened it with. Do you and I have the kind of relationships in our lives that help us seek God? What do those relationships look like? I leave you with eight descriptors from Luke 24. That's a little grid for you to use. Those kind of people. And then the other part of it is a good little lens back, a little mirror back to say, am I that kind of a friend? Am I that kind of a person to others? Here's a common denominator I've observed in pastoring for a number of years Those that walk the Emmaus Road connected with others, there's a common denominator. They want to. Those that walk the Emmaus Road all alone, there's a denominator there too. For the most part, they want to. The question isn't whether we're gonna be on the Emmaus Road journey. Just keep living and you're gonna be releasing the bar at some point and you're gonna be in between grabbing hold of the bar next. You're gonna be on a seven mile journey of the space between the now and the not yet. And when you're in that liminal space, are you going to journey that out together or are you gonna try to go it alone? My observation is the answer is given in, what do you want? If you want it, you press through all the difficulties and challenges and disappointments that come from staying vitally connected together. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, when you're connected vitally to humanity, humanity's going to disappoint at times, and there's a whole lot in that. And it's going to be difficult at times. There's a lot in that. What about that? Because the whole point of it is the connection together is to seek God. So I think he makes sure there's human limitations appropriately wired in to our interconnectedness so we're never gonna be able to be fully satisfied here. We're always gonna have to look there. He's always been the end point. And so I wanna invite you to make a decision at the end of this series and say, you know what, Lord, by your help, I'm gonna choose us, we, and together. I'm gonna resist the pull to go isolated and go alone because this relationship with you, though very personal, it was never supposed to be private. Let's pray. Jesus, we've enjoyed this month on the seven miles with you, with Cleopas, with the other disciple. Thank you for the ways you've opened our eyes and, I think at different points our own hearts have been burning within us at different points as you open the scriptures to us. And by your spirit now, I pray that you would speak to each one and give us clarity. What is the next step? There are some here who really in heavy just complete places of isolation, and maybe just honesty about current reality is a first step. Others filled with liminal space and struggling with the what but we had hoped. Bring strength courage, endurance, maybe others struggling with um, stability and choosing to stay when things have gotten a little messy or complicated, I pray that you would give them clarity. And Lord, I pray that as a body, like Ian prayed earlier, that we would, we would be the kind of people that have such a personal encounter with you that we would go out into the brokenness of our world and we'd have a story to tell. And that story is actually radiating from our own faces rippling out from what you're doing in our souls. So pour out your spirit. May we be the kind of community that you look at and say, hey, that's what it means to be devoted to one another as we seek you to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Build that kind of a community here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.